0: This Woman Over 70 podcast is sponsored by Vesta, a woman-owned kitchen and bath design firm in Chicago. Award-winning founder, Colette Rodon-Hornoff and her team offer a collaborative and detail-oriented approach that turns your vision into a space you will love. Through design, measurement, and construction, you can count on Vesta to bring your dreams to reality. Visit Vesta online at vestachicago.com or call 773-252-7300. Let Vesta infuse your home with warmth and welcome.
1: Hi, I'm Gail. And hi, I'm Catherine. Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our award-winning weekly podcast. We're excited to be in our fourth year. This has been a labor of love that now needs your support. We urge you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund, or make a donation so we may continue to inspire women to age with purpose, resilience, and self-care. So visit womenover70.com and join today.
0: And today we are very excited to have in studio with us, Sarah Peretsky. Judy Schindler, a longtime supporter and early guest on Women Over 70, introduced us to Sarah as someone who has always defied stereotypes. In fact, Sarah revolutionized the mystery world in 1982 when she introduced V.I. Warshawski. By creating a detective with the grit and smarts to take on the mean streets, Paretsky challenged a genre in which women historically were vamps or victims. While Paretsky's fiction changed the narrative about women, her work also opened doors for other women, other writers. In 1986, she created Sisters in Crime, a worldwide organization to advocate for women crime writers. Called Passionate and Electrifying, VI reflects her creator's own passion for social justice. So, Sarah, welcome to Women Over 70. We're delighted to talk with you today. You know, we have many authors among our listeners and guests, and I presume that most of our audience are readers. And I personally have read almost every book, not not all of them, in the uh, VI series. So, yes. As have I. Thank you, Catherine. Yes. And you have a book to hold up, Catherine.
1: I do. I think this is the most. It recent is. that's the
2: most recent Over- yes that
1: is so incredibly timely my oh, goodness
0: <laughs> and so let's let's start by sh- uh, sh- you're sharing why did you create vi in the first place and has she accomplished what you hoped for gosh two very different questions
2: i am um, i've been a lifelong reader of of crime fiction and um I'm 75 now, so second wave feminism, I was in my early twenties and it it started opening my eyes to a lot of issues about women's lives, women in the workplace, but but also the way women's lives were reflected in fiction and in the crime fiction that I had been loving all these years, starting, you know, I started reading adult crime fiction when I was 12 or 13. So a good decade of books in which I thought, Gosh, women either are not present, or they're using their bodies to try to get good boys to do bad things, or mostly they're just victims. Uh, if they were, if they were morally upright, they couldn't tie their shoes in public without adult assistance. So I was really, you know, I was really angry by the way that women's lives were reflected in crime fiction, and really in a lot of fiction as far as that goes. And so, when I was in my early twenties i I wanted to i started having this desire to create a detective that would turn the tables on those images. but <laughs> it was a long time coming i um I wrote very privately, I never imagined writing for publication. I didn't know the first thing about how to write a novel, and I'd write a few pages and discard them and so eight years went by <laughs> like that um And then um, I realized I was 31 and I thought, if I don't buckle down and try to actually write a book this year, it's just going to be one of these dead daydreams, like imagining that I would be fluent in French or dance with the Bolshoi. (laughs) So that was that was how the process started. And uh, so she definitely was a creation in response to the way women were depicted on the page. But your second half of your question, did I accomplish what I set out to? Well, yes and no. Yeah. I, the yes is that uh, at the time that I started, there were several other women, Sue Grafton, Marsha Muller, mm-hmm. Liza Cody, who were doing a similar thing. And the four of us were real groundbreakers and opened the floodgates for other women who had you know who like me hadn't had the courage to find a voice and our voices help them find that mm-hmm. courage mm-hmm. but when i look at a lot of what is happening with women's lives especially in this country i can't speak to other countries and i i feel that the the struggle is just relentless that mm-hmm. the struggle to have women's lives valued taken seriously Uh, to have our bodies respected for us to get the courage to respect our own bodies and our own lives that I'm sad to say, it it makes me sad, but that isn't going to be fixed in my lifetime. And um, I hate that, but, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm also glad to see a lot of energetic young women still, still working on it.
0: Right. Right. Well, you've done a really good job. And so you can be glad about that, and I'm sure you are. And and so you've been actively volunteering in causes since college, and and you know what what is it that volu- that appeals to you about that? I um that's a, a, a good question,
2: you know. There's uh, there are personal reasons and public reasons, and I would say that um uh You know, I hate to see anyone suffering, I guess, is one thing. Uh, But, um, and so that's a big motivator for me. The summer that I was 19, I grew up in Kansas and I went to the University of Kansas. But the summer that I was 19 um, was the summer that Martin Luther King came to Chicago in response to the local civil rights leadership. They were trying to move the city on. Uh, housing and unemployment issues, and um, the civil rights leadership in the city knew that this would be a powder keg of a summer, and so they put out a, a call for student volunteers on campuses around the country. And I went. I came here to Chicago with a program run by the Presbytery of Chicago. I'm I'm Jewish myself, but they didn't have a, a religious
1: <laughs> test
2: and. Um, worked for it worked in that summer on the south side in very close to the neighborhood where King was living. I just did what was asked of me, which was to help run a a day camp for kids seven to eleven and <laughs> try to use soft propaganda to to persuade children that there were alternatives to diversity to then uh, you didn't have to stand on the corner of Seventieth and Ashland and throw rocks at each other um, so. That was, but uh, it was a great program. It made me fall in love with the city. The man who ran the part of the program I was in was probably the best manager I ever worked for. And um, so I guess, uh, I guess my early foray into social justice was so um, satisfying that I kept (laughs) going. (laughs) just, yeah.
0: You didn't. You didn't stop. Yeah. You know, I, I would like to pivot back for a moment because I'm realizing that not everybody who is listening to this knows about Vi Warshasky. So, okay, tell tell us just a little bit about who she is and what she does. And, and, yeah. Well, Vi is a, a private investigator, and she
2: was just about the first. A fictitious private investigator. She came, my first book was published in 1982. I started writing it in 1979. And the year that, uh, that my first book, Indemnity Only, was published was also the first year that Chicago women could be police officers instead of just matrons at the jail. It was a year after Sandra Day O'Connor was placed on the Supreme Court. So it was a time just of explosive change in women's lives and women's opportunities. But for V.I. coming on the scene then, um, there was a, a, you know, my books didn't sell very well in the beginning, but they found a readership in women who were really eager for new models and new ways of of doing things and seeing women do the things that, that they aspire to.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So she um she specializes in white collar crime um because I uh, when I started writing I was working in uh, finance in the financial services industry and sort of know a lot more about white collar crime than I do about street crime.
1: <laughs> you know, VI strikes me as a, a really good person but she's not a good girl. So there's sides to her that uh, really break the mold. In addition to being a, an investigator, a PI, and th- did you model her after someone?
2: No, I th- I would say more that I modeled her o- over some of the things that some of the behaviors that I aspire to. I'm not very brave, and I'm certainly not very strong physically. Uh, it is true that both of us speak without reflecting perhaps as much as one ought to before digging a big ditch that one then (laughs) falls into for lack of impulse control. (laughs) But uh, one of the things that, um, one of the ways in which VI is, I don't know what to say, different or models a different kind of behavior maybe is that she gets angry and she gets really angry. And that is uh you know way more than than having a sex life that is such a no no it still is for women and you'll see um, oh God, I can't think of what this group was called it was i I don't know if it was a real or if it was a a, a real thing, but it was a place that um overly aggressive women managers were supposed to get training on how to dial it back and tone it down. And now Mm -hmm. I can't think of what it was called, but it was uh, when Hillary was first running for Senate, not when she was running for president, Um, she was just constantly pilloried for, she wasn't acting Mm -hmm. out angrily in public, but she was way more assertive, taking up way more room than um, both men and women felt comfortable with Mm -hmm. and so that's to me that's what vi's real job is it's not so much that she's physical and she grew up as a street fighter and those things but it's that she insists on her right to speech and to take up that kind of room
0: right yeah yeah (laughs) so so um You know, what, what other volunteer activities have you been involved in? Well, my core
2: issue has for 50 plus years really has been abortion rights and Mm -hmm. the right of women to make our own reproductive health decisions. Right. I started um, when I was in my early twenties, 23, I went to New York thinking I might, be able to get a job as a writer. Uh, and I ended up getting a job as a secretary, but, um, you know, I thought a magazine, a newspaper, something. Anyway, I um, was rooming with a woman who um, it was just one of those luck of the draw. Someone advertised for a roommate, African American woman, um, who one morning as I was getting ready to leave for work. We weren't friends. We weren't close. We just lived together. But she was going off to have an abortion and it was illegal then. She was so terrified that she had to tell someone and that someone was me. So I offered to go with her and uh, she didn't want that. But at nine at night when she hadn't come home, I started calling around looking for her and she had collapsed hemorrhaging Mm. on 117th street which was near columbia presbyterian hospital so she was taken into the hospital her life was saved but the next morning the doctor on call told her that she was basically a piece of trash a welfare queen taking advantage of the city's health care and that she was lucky they saved her life and um you know i was so young and stupid and ignorant. I didn't really understand how much a role her race played in that. I just knew that that was an abomination. And so when I came back to Chicago, that's when I became an abortion rights activist. And, um, I never did the brave frontline work that the women of Jane Mm -hmm. who ran the underground did, but I started working as a lobbyist in Springfield and, um, because at, at that time, we thought, as we are doing now, that we had to conquer one state at a time. Um, and then when Roe was handed down, I continued I, as a clinic escort and served as the chair of the board of NARAL of Illinois and mm-hmm. um, did a lot of those things until I just um, didn't have the energy to do, be both a volunteer and a stepmother and a writer and a spouse. and. And so I
0: stepped back. It's a tall order. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But recently you wrote an article in the, uh, was it in the Tribune? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well,
2: um, there's an organization in Illinois called Personal PAC, which supports candidates of any party who are pro-choice, pro-women's health, mm-hmm. access to health. And uh, for for people who are new to the state or haven't really, for whom this hasn't been a core issue, 30 years ago, Illinois was definitely a state where the majority of legislators were anti-abortion, anti-contraception, anti-women's, making their own decisions about reproductive health and personal PAC, just sheer muscle, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
2: turned that ship around. So I was working with them, doing oh canvassing and running fundraisers and and so on. And uh, the the executive director Terry Cosgrove asked if I would write a, an op ed uh, that they could try to place. Oh, okay. So this was on, um, you know, Illinois abortion was on the ballot here in in this past election because we don't have a guaranteed right to privacy or. Access to reproductive health, and there were two men running for seats on the Supreme Court who were who were very vocal in their in their Mm -hmm. determination to overturn all the all the laws that we have that protect women's lives and health. So my op-ed addressed that specific election issue, and and I think I think it was a help. Um, Anyway, we we did
0: prevail in the election, which was such a
2: relief. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, so I'm sure it was a big help, an important uh, important piece of uh, journalism. Yes, definitely. Yeah, Catherine, did they, you? They had that? to tone me down
2: a little. Um, you know, I was I was referring to the opposition as when they were boys, they like to look up girls' skirts on the playground, but they didn't think that would. <laughs> True, <laughs> so though it, it was. They <laughs> had someone to tone me down and make it more. Kind of. Oh,
0: <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, Catherine, did you have something you wanted to Sarah?
1: Well, I was just thinking back to um, the, I don't even remember how many books you've written, uh, but there's a long, long list. And um, it seems to me that you cover so many, t- so many a- areas of social justice as, you know, Age and ageism, and gender, and housing, and politics, and crime, and it's just. Um, and this, this, this book, the book now that this most recent book, Overload, is you're taking on um, what's happened during the pandemic and that impact on different businesses and people, and anti-Semitism, and. Um, all sorts of issues. So I'm just wondering, um, was that always your in, in your intention to to write uh, to use your your writing talent to expose social injustices?
2: No, it, it's a sort of a chicken and an egg. Uh, issue, I think, in that these are the things that are on my mind, and so they they creep into what I'm writing. My my goal is, because I'm writing fiction and I'm writing in an entertainment genre, is that I, I do want to entertain readers. I don't want to batter them over the head with my views, and sometimes I get carried away.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> but one of the things about writing about white-collar crime is that white collar crime to my mind is really always political because the 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 um, i mean this isn't exactly a crime it to me it feels criminal, but yesterday there was an article in the Guardian newspaper on on a British energy company which has uh, their profits are four times this year what they were a year ago, so here.
0: Mm-hmm
2: people in England are not turning on heat in their homes because they can't afford their homes. And this company has made out like bandits um, mm-hmm. and um, and they're offering bonuses to the senior staff of something like 10 times what they ever got in the past because yes, you know, we... And so that that is the kind of thing that it, it is really political. It's not just... Um, criminal, maybe that isn't a crime. It's not something that I would take on in a book, but it's just the first example that comes to mind of the way in which white-collar management behavior that mm-hmm. that tends towards the criminal just has this political element to it. Mm-hmm. And so by focusing on that, you know, the 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 center story of overboard has to do with the way that for profit nursing homes are um, are really I mean it's hard to say they're operating illegally, but they're certainly operating in such ways that they hasten the death of of people in their care. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the statistics, but the difference between a a publicly run nursing home and a privately run privately funded one is it, something like four times the the death rate among residents and that's that's a wobbly statistic but it's it's significantly higher in for-profit homes and uh, uh because that's what they want is profit so what happens to the bodies on the conveyor belt passing in front of them is is irrelevant and that was that was the heart of the the, the story and what i was constructing so all these other things were were just kind of grew um like onion rings around <laughs> that core story
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah are you uh, working on anything now i am i actually am
2: working on a book that i was supposed to have done uh, this past august and i'm still only about halfway through it and it's making me crazy because I, I thought this is such a good idea. I'm having so much fun with this idea and it's not coming together the way I want it.
0: So I'm, I'm feeling a little frustrated. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I'm sure we'll hear about it when it, when it uh, actually gets published. Yeah. Is this another VI? Um, yes. I'm under the contract
2: um, to, this is, Actually my last book on my contract. So I don't know if they'll wanna do more books with me, but um, the contract specifies that it has to be with VI, which is fine. I wrote two books that weren't in the series, and I would if I had an idea for a non series book, I, I certainly would do it. But right now stories about VI are the ones that are coming to me. So I'm I'm glad that yes. My yes. publishers still want to publish her. Yes. Yeah.
1: Please keep
0: please keep it up. Yes, <laughs> and and Sarah, um, you know we always like to ask our guests: Are you thinking about aging? What what uh, what's in your mind about it? You said you're seventy five years old. Are you um, are you thinking about the future? Well, I yes, yes, and no. Um,
2: do I live in denial? I think I. I worry about it as opposed to thinking about it. I'm I'm in good health, although not fabulous health. But I live um, in a big house that I don't wish to leave, and that's that's kind of the crux of the thinking that I do. I keep thinking, well, if I'm going to leave, I should leave now when I'm fit and. And moving to downsizing won't be a shock to the system. But the truth is, I don't want to leave.
1: So
2: this how this room behind me is my study. It's the attic um, of that my husband and I had converted into my office. So there, there are two stories below me and. um, and a basement below them. So, um, <laughs> a lot of stairs and, um, I, uh, I'm very fortunate that, um, there's a woman who, who I have a housekeeper who really is, she keeps the house. Um, she's much more aware of things that need repairing or, um, rodents, all those things. than I am, and she, Um, she's enthusiastic about supporting my desire to stay here. Mm -hmm. And so so my feeling is, is that if I start becoming less able, we'll figure out a way that I can still live in this house, maybe not inhabiting the whole house as I do now, and finding outside support. For help i hope i know that's not so easy these days but um i think like everyone i know my good friends who are my age the the thing we all worry about the most is mental incapacity and what what how we, what would be the what would what would we do uh, you know i i think also like many people i don't wish to be a burden on the people that I love and mm-hmm. um, you know my husband, who was he was a brilliant physicist at the University of Chicago. But the last years of his life, he had cognitive issues, and um, I'm grateful that I was able to look after him. Um, I don't. I was lucky in many ways that he didn't have the problems that some people do, but. Mm-hmm. So I was able to continue to have come with me at home but um there isn't someone to look after me with that kind of loving care so mm-hmm. um yeah I, uh, you know so these are things that I worry about I don't know if that answers your
0: question or if I should be thinking about it in a
2: broader no way.
0: that that's that's your answer that's that's perfect and and I'm thinking that what a great subject for VI is. Uh, yeah. The, the aging issues. And there's a
2: British crime writer, he's dead now, but he's not very well known, but I think one of the best users of English of any crime writer I've ever read, Peter Dickinson. And he wrote a book called One Foot in the Grave. Mm. Um, he had, he, his books covered a gamut of characters he didn't he wasn't like me writing with the same character all the time but he had a police officer who's in a nursing home and who's had a stroke and who's partially mm-hmm. disabled and who and and the book is told how he how he navigates the obstacles that face someone in with those conditions and how he also solves a significant crime in the nursing home, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I th- I think um, I think it's a challenge worth taking up. I don't I wouldn't be able to write well. I couldn't write the book he wrote. He already wrote it, but right, <laughs> sensibility than mine. But but I do recommend it. Actually, if readers are interested, it's called One Foot in the Grave. Like his it's last it's name is what Dickinson D I C K Oh, is it e n or i n i think it's d i c k e n s o
0: n great thank you thank you that sounds great yeah so anything else you'd like to tell our listeners you know i'm prone to depression and um
2: as as many people are and um i i guess the uh I think that I was, where did, where did I start that sentence? Why did I start that sentence? What keeps me going, what keeps me going isn't some Pollyannish, you know, everything's going to get better tomorrow, Mm -hmm. but that I've learned from experience that if you make yourself get out of bed and put one foot in front of the other, that you will keep going, or at least I will. I know people who suffer much more deeply from depression than I do, that that isn't useful advice. But for those of us who are prone to melancholy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I never used to make my bed, but I do now because it's like, yes, I did that. And now I will do the next thing. (laughs) Um, And also I just started taking singing lessons. Oh, and um, they are, uh, it's like, a whole new world for me. I love it. I love connecting with my voice in a way that I never have before. Mm -hmm. And I've also learned that singing, even in a quavery voice that doesn't have the chops that uh, a 30-year-old has, Uh that it's like meditation. It just, you can't think about anything else while you're singing. So um, that's my other recommendation.
1: And you, you just know, brightened up when you talked about you that. You did. You did. <laughs> That's lovely. lovely. for sure.
2: Lovely.
1: Well, well taking thank you
2: from a woman who specializes. She says her specialty is the
0: mature voice.
2: Isn't Ooh. that nice? Yes.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Sarah, for being oh, with yeah. us. Thank you. Oh,
2: thank you for your interest. I hope this was what you wanted. I'm, you know, absolutely. 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 Yes. I'm going to race off to Catherine's website to look at your reward your <laughs> award and start
1: listening to some of your previous. That's great. So listeners, at the beginning of the podcast, we urged you to join Aging Reimagined Circle, our sustaining membership fund. Aging Reimagined Circle hosts our monthly interactive programs, and we invite you to engage in these probing discussions and lend your voice to these important conversations about issues that matter to women as we age. So, visit womenover70.com to join. Thank you.
2: Thank you both very much.
0: This was wonderful.
1: Welcome.